Gentlemen, you can't fight here. This is the war room. What's up, watchers? In today's episode, we will be tackling a film that is a major contributor in the world of political satire. Some people consider this to be one of the funniest movies ever made, and it regularly ends up on lists of the greatest films of all time. So head on down to your local Fallout shelter as we break down Stanley Kubrick's 1964 classic, Dr. Strangelove, or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Learn to Love the Bomb. That's such a great name. I know. <laughs> Welcome to the Midnight Watch Podcast, the show where we discuss classic, cult, and modern classic movies. We're your hosts, Josh and Jeremy, and we try to review movies that are at least 10 years old and see what kind of impact they made or are still making on culture and the film industry. We rate these movies in four categories. The level, number one, the level of impact and success it had when it was released. Number two, how relevant is it today? Number three, our personal enjoyment of the movie. And number four, is it a midnight watch? So, like we said in the intro, today we're doing Stanley Kubrick's Dr. Strange Love. We had so much fun doing Alfred Hitchcock's movie Psycho that we thought we'd dust off another older classic from the 1960s. Jeremy, what are some fun facts you have to start us off with? All right, let's jump right into it. This is directed by Stanley Kubrick. I was trying to find more information on the screenwriter. Stanley Kubrick helped with that, but he was not the only person to do that. It is loosely based on Pete George's book, Red Alert, that came out a few years before that. The budget is $1.8 million, and the box office made $9.4 million, so it definitely made money. Uh, Let's see here. Like you said, it's one of the best comedies ever made. It was nominated for Best Movie, or actually Best Picture for an Academy Award and nominated for Best Director and Best Actor, Peter Sellers, who plays three different characters in this movie. <laughs> and like That's pretty cool, yeah. Dude, like, the, just Peter Sellers, knowing that he played three different characters, each he's a completely different character in with those. So he does such a good job. Right. Yeah, they're very broad from one to the other. It's pretty amazing. Right. Uh, let's see. They did not win Best Movie, unfortunately. They lost to My Fair Lady, which swept the Oscars that year. Mm, so that is a that is a solid solid it, film very i mean how can you say no to rex harrison you know being hey. that being a yeah it's not it's not no he's not the music man that's uh that's that other dude right <laughs> no, i'm totally drawing a blank on him rex harrison is from uh dr doolittle right that's it yeah but any robert preston that's who we were thinking there, of. yeah that's yeah robert, robert preston, preston amazing in the music man so, anyways, right. we're not talking about and the that last one. Starfighter. I know, right? Yeah, <laughs> we're gonna get, we're gonna get to that. But I was like, that's exactly what I was trying to think. It was like, what's the name of that movie? <laughs> that other <laughs> classic eighties <I> movie. <laughs> that's literally uh, the, the only other movie I know. Movie. I know of with Robert Preston. Right. <laughs> yeah, and just, I feel like you get to be kind of a nerd to know that too, and, and know him from the Music Man. Put it that way, because you might know him just from the Last Starfighter. But. Right. Which I we mean, the music man we we wore that movie out growing up. That I was, know, and then Family Guy is all like making fun of him. He's all like Shabooby, Shabooby, and he's doing the dance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. All right, back to this movie. This movie has an awesome name, Doctor Strangelove, or How I Learned to uh, Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. It's just it's the that's definitely the longest uh, name that we've re- reviewed so far, and that's right. probably like fifty percent of the reason I wanted to review this movie just so I could have that in our list of movies people will be like what is that and like click on it it's a very 60s name for sure uh this movie stars peter sellers george c scott Salim pickens sterling hayden this is uh okay keenan Wynn and peter bull now this movie also stars james earl jones i wouldn't say stars but it's definitely he's in the movie and a cool yeah, thing for sure he's got a sig well i won't say significant in I mean, the scenes that he's in mm-hmm. he's got a healthy amount of lines i will say this is the um actual film debut of james earl jones which is pretty awesome i didn't know oh, that yeah. before before reviewing the movie i mean don't get me wrong james earl jones is like that type of actor that just sweetens the movie um you know the movie could be terrible and he's in the movie and you're like you know it actually wasn't that bad right so <laughs> um yeah well i've got a bunch of other inf- interesting information in this movie but we should probably go into the synopsis before i uh just jump off into the trivia into just the, the trivia sea 
There we go. Uh, yeah, and uh, pay attention to the names here. They are... This movie has... It's got sight gags, obviously, um, but the dialogue is very funny, and the, the names of a lot of the characters are um, super funny. So, here we oh, go. Pay, yeah. pay attention. There's one, one more thing real quick. Yeah, like you said, um, this movie has got jokes upon jokes upon jokes and i know i missed half of the jokes because i wasn't born in 1964 and didn't realize the political issues when it came out but yeah the people's names were all specifically picked for different things um the situations were and uh even some of the characters were cat typecast uh, like against themselves like peter sellers was actually supposed to be the general that actually is the villain in this movie but right. he broke his leg right before it started. And so, which honestly, that's the best thing that happened for him because we get three ter- like terrific um, right. characters from him. And George Scott is amazing. He oh, is dude. so funny. So he is funny. Okay, we got it. We got it. Let's fire. do the synopsis and then we'll start oh, yeah. breaking this down because uh, <laughs> there's a lot to talk about here. Okay, uh, this comes to you once again, courtesy from Wikipedia. Not a sponsor. <laughs> but they, we probably sh- we should probably donate though <laughs> right <laughs> okay guys donate to wikipedia <laughs> <They're> one- <laughs> gotta keep them open okay here we go uh united states air force brigadier general jack d ripper is commander of burpleson air force base which houses the strategic air command sac or sac 804 or 843rd bomb wing flying b-52 bombers armed with hydrogen bombs the 843rd wing is flying an airborne alert two hours from their targets inside the ussr ripper explains to mandrake that he discovered the communist plot to pollute americans precious bodily fluids during the physical act of love general ripper orders his executive officer group captain lionel mandrake of the uk royal air force to put the base on alert and to issue wing attack plan r to the patrolling aircraft one of which is commanded by major tj king kong all of the aircraft commence on an attack flight on the ussr and set their radios to allow communications only through their crm one or 11 four, uh, 114, 114 discriminators which was designed to accept only communications preceded by a secret three-letter code known only to General Ripper. Mandrake discovers that no war order has been issued by the Pentagon, and he tries to stop Ripper, who locks them both in his office. Ripper tells Mandrake that he believes the Soviets have been using fluoridation of the American water supplies to pollute the precious bodily fluids of Americans. Mandrake realizes that Ripper has gone insane. In the war room at the Pentagon, General Buck Turgeson briefs President Merkin Muffley and other officers about how Plan R enables a senior officer to launch a strike against the Soviets if all superiors have been killed in a first strike on the United States. Turgeson reports that his men are trying every possible three-letter CRM code to issue the stand-down order, but that could take over two days, and the planes are due to reach their targets in a couple of hours. Muffley orders the U.S. Army to storm the base and arrest General Ripper. Turgeson then attempts to convince Muffley to let the attack continue, but Muffley refuses to be party to a nuclear first strike. Instead, he brings Soviet ambassador, 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 why was that so hard to say? (laughs) Alexei D. Sadesky into the war room to telephone Soviet Premier Dmitry Kisov on the hotline. Muffley warns the Premier of the impending attack and offers to reveal the positions of the bombers and targets so that the Soviets can protect themselves. After a heated discussion in Russian with the premier, the ambassador informs President Muffley that the Soviet Union has created a doomsday machine, which consists of many buried bombs jacketed with cobalt thorium G, connected to a computer network set to detonate them automatically should any nuclear attack strike the country. Within two months after detonation, the cobalt thorium G would encircle the planet in a radioactive doomsday shroud wiping out all human and animal life and rendering the surface of the earth uninhabitable. The device cannot be deactivated as it is programmed to explode if any such attempt is made. When the president's wheelchair-bound scientific advisor, the former Nazi German Dr. Strangelove, points out that such a doomsday machine would only be an effective deterrent if everyone knew about it, 
De Sadesky replies that the Soviet premier had planned to reveal its existence to the world the following week. That line is really funny. <laughs> when he, yeah. He's like, it only works <laughs> if everybody knows you have a doomsday dis- device. <laughs> and the Russian guy's like, we were going to reveal it on Tuesday. <laughs> was- okay, back to it. Meanwhile, U.S. Army troops arrive at Burpleson and General Ripper shoots and, kill- shoots and kills himself. Mandrake identifies Ripper's CRM code from his desk blotter, OPE, a variant of both peace on earth and purity of essence, and relays this code to the Pentagon. Using the recall code, SAC successfully recalls all the bombers except one whose radio equipment has been destroyed. The Soviets attempt to find it, but its commanding officer, Major Kong, with his fuel dwindling, has switched to a closer backup target. As the plane approaches the new target, the crew is unable to open the damaged bomb bay doors. Kong enters the bomb bay and repairs the broken electrical wiring while sitting on the H-bomb, whereupon the doors open and the bomb is dropped. With Kong straddling it, the bomb falls and detonates over a Soviet missile site. Bomber Commander Major T.J. Kong riding the bomb down. Back in the war room, Dr. Strangelove recommends that the president gather several hundred thousand people to live in deep underground mines where the radiation will not penetrate. He suggests a 10 to 1 female to male ratio for a breeding program to repopulate the earth once the radiation has subsided. Turgidson, worried that the Soviets will do the same, warns about a mine shaft gap, while Alexei secretly photographs the war room. Dr. Strangelove declares he has a plan but then rises from his wheelchair and announces, Mein Fier, I can walk, as the Doomsday Machine activates. The film ends with a montage of many nuclear explosions, accompanied by Vera Lynn's version of the World War II song, We'll Meet Again. So, And I, I don't know if any of that made any sense. As I'm reading it, I'm like, this is a little it's a little, jumbled together. It's a little bit <laughs> over the top in, yeah, breaking it down. Um, by the way, I misspoke. Actually, Peter Sellis was actually going to play Major Kong, uh, Slim Pickens' character. Oh, you're right. Yep. Um, not General uh, Muffler? No, <laughs> Muffy no, Turgeson. Tur- no, not Turgeson. Turgeson was always going to be George C. Scott, uh, the bad guy. But anyways. Oh, um, right. Yeah. But so there's there's a lot of interesting things about this movie. So, for example, this is the first movie that the the dig or the the number letters and numbers CRM one one four up here in Stanley Kubrick's movies. Like this movie show or that little sequences of letters and numbers shows up in tons of different movies and TV shows throughout the years. It's kind of like George Lucas's THX eleven thirty eight. So it's pretty interesting. And also too, like the other cool part about this is. This is also among the titles that they were considering for this movie was Doctor Doomsday or How to Start World War Three Without Even Trying, Doctor Strange Secret Use, ah, Doctor Strange Loves Secret Uses of Uranus, which <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how they would have gotten that past the censors. No, um, I don't think that's possible. Um, and Wonderful Bomb, but dude, Stanley Kubrick. Okay, so love him or hate him, this dude was extremely almost like over the top in like everything in his movies like 90 percent of what happens in his movies is pre-planned like alfred hitchcock was pre-planned everything in his movies pretty much but stanley kubrick is even more anal than hitchcock and so like the he read over supposedly read over like 50 different books on the on the uh the war and like how he could get this to be as realistic as possible before they spun it as satire right that's pretty crazy, dude. And actually, yeah. watching this movie, knowing it was satire, it's still kind of unnerving. Like, yeah. even it, I, absolutely, it's crazy how much it feels like a modern movie in regards to um, how the politicians are acting and the military people. And you're like, this is still how it is today. Yeah, so yeah, it's disturbing. Oh yeah, and then like the interesting part about it too, though, is like. They actually like built the entire the part where they're in the B fifty two like that that uh, bombing jet uh, airplane was new at the time that was like not top secret but it was like brand new but so, it was pretty secret though yeah so they basically had to build like they had one photograph to build the cockpit off of and so they built that whole thing and then like later air force uh officials were like actually that's pretty close to accurate so right yeah they were not the air force did not want to help them out 
with no. uh, constructing you know the set for it but that makes sense though because i know like during world war ii like mickey mouse cartoons and stuff you know they'd have like they'd be showing cartoons and saying like hey you buy war bonds you know support our troops and so they'd show like different like cartoonish versions of uh, war machines and stuff and so like i like uh our enemies at the time would watch these cartoons trying to find out like what our some of our secret stuff is and so would they be in the right. cold war and kennedy being assassinated what was it the year before this came out um because the then like that it makes sense that at the united states air force was like we're not going to help you out at all because we don't want the uh the reds to right. like see what we're doing over here and so it's it's pretty intense like yeah Stanley yeah, Kubrick. it was a real deal. They were very... It, the Cold War, I mean, I don't know if you remember the end of it, because I think it ended in the late... I can't remember exact day now. eighty, The late 80s. Yeah, the 80s. Um, yeah. I, I remember... Actually, you may not have even... You were probably a baby. I doubt that. I th- I was probably just thinking about sleep. <laughs> right. <laughs> sleep and poop or something. <laughs> but I, I remember seeing pictures in the newspaper, though, of uh, you know the Berlin Wall coming down and yeah it was kind of a big deal so i mean it was a huge deal yeah um so yeah that's something that you know we never we didn't really truly experience right and i I definitely think some of the comedy in this would be funnier if i had really understood a lot of what was going on at the time which i'm familiar with some of the actors in this and seeing some of the tropes that they would do so that's pretty funny but um there's another and some of the humor still is it it is relevant today some of it which is yeah but no. you're right. If you actually knew, you know, what was, if you were alive in, in that time period, I'm sure it was even funnier. Oh yeah, absolutely. And don't get me wrong. Like I still thought this movie was pretty funny. Like I was watching this movie by myself and I was laughing out loud at different parts. Right. And yeah, it was, it's legitly a funny movie. I can understand why it's considered one of the greatest comedies ever made. Well, spe- uh, speaking of experiencing uh, things, when was the first time you saw this movie? Oh, good question. I don't know why we always forget this until I know. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's about it's it. It's right oh. there in the notes. <laughs> I know. It. We're we always do forget it, it. <laughs> early on. It's the most forgettable thing, apparently. Um, <laughs> At least to us. Yeah. Okay. So, a short story about this. I filmed a. I was like fourteen, fifteen, and I filmed a little short video with my sister and my cousin um, about this. Uh, it's a basically a cop and robber thing, and so, anyways, the robber's hand gets uh infected and then like tries to kill him so he has to cut his own hand off and it's played for laughs <laughs> and i did that um in homage to evil dead because i just saw that and thought that was amazing so we right. showed this to our, our grandpa sir and like he started busting up and i was like thinking oh this is cool like we this is really funny i guess like oh, this is awesome and then like later i talked to him like a week later and he was like i'm interested, surprised that you've seen that movie and i was like thinking of evil dead still didn't right. realize until later that like he was talking about dr strange love yeah uh, how his whole like, hand is still a nazi hand and he's trying to like downplay it <laughs> he keeps throwing up yeah. the heil hitler sign and right he's pulling it down and like smacking his hand he's like no um <laughs> alien hand <laughs> the alien but i hand. think that's what they i think that's what they actually called it alien hand syndrome or something no no okay so this is crazy by the way uh another uh thing right here but i i re- found this out okay um yeah it's agnostic apraxia and basically, the it's caused by uh, damage to the corpus callosum, the nerve fibers that connect the two brains, the brain's two hemispheres. So basically, the researchers that found this out, this is a real condition actually, where your hand can just like flip out and do its own thing. So they wow. call it they call it Doctor Strangelove syndrome. No but, way. <laughs> yeah. So like this is something that after this movie came out, then they like found out like actually some people really can't control some of their appendages and so wow. they'll just do spaz and do different things so <laughs> who knows maybe that Dang. person maybe that person in church that you thought was like waving hallelujah maybe they have okay that's bad <laughs> <laughs> but um anyways um yeah so that i finally watched this movie i think after my my grandpa had mentioned this movie then i was like oh what's that and so i ended up watching it then and i was so bored because <laughs> I was sure. like, wasn't even 18, didn't get most of this. And the only thing I liked out of it was Dr. Strangelove's character. So um, what about you? Um, well, my little story with this is I remember seeing a, like a preview for this 
on I don't know what I don't I can't remember what the movie was that I feel like it's a movie we saw several times growing up some other old movie from the 60s and this was um you know an advertisement for it yeah and I just remember thinking this movie looks crazy and then the part with Slim Pickens I'm like I recognized him from I don't know just westerns that we had seen because we watched a lot of old westerns growing up Oh, yeah, he's and, in a ton of Disney movies. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, Roy Rogers or, I don't know, just, just different, maybe John Wayne. I can't I can't remember exactly, but mm-hmm. um, I just remember seeing his parts and then, uh, you know, some of the war room scenes with um, George C. Scott and and just, I was, I remember thinking as a kid, like, man, this movie doesn't make sense. Like, were they, why would they make, I didn't think they made movies like this back then. Right. And I was like, that's so crazy. Maybe it's like stuff they, I, it felt like to me, like it was clips from three different movies that they put together to to make a funny advertisement or something. Like it didn't even make sense that that was a real movie. Right. So there was that. So I was aware of it. And then I didn't realize until, yeah, high school or maybe, a, I don't know, maybe after high school where I, was, I saw that this was an actual movie. Oh, wow. So I was, yeah. And I was like, oh my gosh. So there was that and then i probably watched this movie about i don't know 12 or 13 years ago i think i rented it from the library oh okay and uh and that was the first time i'd actually seen it i think i actually rented this movie from the library too uh, great place to get movies for free guys seriously right. like just go on there get your movies they have they have like thousands of movies that you can watch for free yeah super uh Super good resource what, there. What did you think about it when you first saw it? Like, did you have any? So, th- because this movie's so different than anything that we've reviewed so far, like, what did you? What were your thoughts on it? Initially, um, definitely parts that I thought were funny, but then I don't think I'd seen a whole lot of satire at the time, and mm-hmm. so it was it was a little hard to follow. Right. Um, it definitely has um, its own pace, and if you're not ready for it it can seem a little dry at times oh yeah uh, if you don't know what you're getting into um no, and then i watched it again probably five or six years ago with my uh with my old movie club and nice. um, yeah from the sack. I, yeah from sack so i think uh we were probably doing like a stanley kubrick day and we were probably just watching as many of his movies as we could so that was definitely on the docket that's awesome I know this movie is a, definitely a lesser-known Stanley Kubrick film because when people think of Kubrick, they think of like immediately The Shining, or excuse me, or yeah. Clockwork Orange, or Full Metal Jacket, uh, Full Metal Jacket, Eyes Wide Shut, like his later films. Right. This was his last movie that was in black and white, and this was the only comedy that he ever directed. Right. Yeah, I was actually really surprised once I started knowing, you know, kind of paying attention to who what Kubrick had done maybe 20 Mm -hmm. years ago. And it kind of surprised me that this was one of his movies. And then I also realized like, oh my gosh, this guy made, you know, a fair amount of movies. Cause I just, yeah, you really only think about the stuff he made in the seventies and onward. Right. Oh, and then like 2001, of course, space odyssey. Yeah. He also directed Spartacus, which that was a big deal one. Cause cause he's directed tons of different types of movies. Like I, I would dare say he's done a movie in almost every genre which mm-hmm. is pretty crazy because most people that that's when you know you are a fantastic director and like right now somebody who's working to to that does something similar is but done multiple genres is James Wan the director of Saw um, that dude is is amazing like you should check out his movies I mean he did Fast Seven he's done he's done a lot of horror movies and then he did uh, Death Sentence with uh, Kevin Bacon was actually pretty solid. Mm. But anyways, yeah. This yeah, I just looked it up. He did six movies before Dr. Strangelove. Okay, yeah. Which is crazy. Uh, I mean, the only one I, I was aware of was um, Spartacus. Or some, I know he did, uh, shoot, what's the, the Lolita? Lolita. Lolita, yeah. he did that one. And then, uh, then the other ones were Paths of Glory, The Killing, Killer's Kiss, and his first movie in 53, uh, Fear and Desire. I heard the killing's pretty good. I haven't checked that out. I need to watch his finish finish his category of movies. Right. His his catalog. Catalog. That's what I meant to say. <laughs> right. I knew what you meant. Category. Yeah, of- so there's a he had a bunch of earlier stuff that I don't I mean and the only reason it's funny, the only reason I know about Spartacus is because of um I'm totally Was it the movie that that thing you do? 
Uh, no, because of well, no. Uh, but <laughs> I knew Kirk. I, I knew Kirk Douglas was in it. He's, Kirk Douglas the is the man. <laughs> yeah. yeah, love me some Kirk Douglas playing Spartacus. He was also great in Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea. Okay, we need to get back on this train. <laughs> right, turn <laughs> it around. We're playing six, playing six degrees of Kevin Bacon right now. <laughs> Just, I know. Six uh, degrees of Stanley Kubrick. Right. The Kubrick Kaleidoscope is what we're doing right now. <laughs> yeah, the Kubrick Connection. Connection. There we go. Um, yeah, so let's go into this. Uh, let's talk about how this movie competes with the movie Failsafe. Um, have you seen that one? I have not. Did you watch that one? And, you know, I, I saw... They showed this movie when I was in band. I don't know why they played it in band class, but um, I watched it there. That was one of those movies that was really weird. Um, so this movie basically, odd. I know, I, I still don't, maybe I just, I don't know. Something I missed something right there where band class and watch a movie on the cold war. So anyways, right. um, yeah, but they, uh, fail safe was coming out the same year that this was. And so Stanley Kubrick didn't like that because the movies are so similar. So he sued the, the, the makers of fail safe and then they settled out of court. And one of his things that was that his movie was to be released before Failsafe. So they would think that it right. wasn't a satire of Failsafe. And right. which Failsafe is a really famous movie as well, showing like the potential repercussions of of something going wrong and the the end of the world starting by accident. So right. anyways. Well, I know the yeah. the author of the book I don't know if it was called Failsafe or anyways, the the book that that movie's based on, um, I think the author of uh red alert sued that guy for plagiarism because it was so similar and the characters were even very similar really okay that's pretty intense so that kind of got worked into the lawsuit and added a lot of you know a lot more punch to it right uh, for them to get their get that movie squashed at least for a year and i guess they had good reviews when it came out from what i was reading but it it obviously just didn't make the make the splash that dr strangelove did yeah dr strangelove is still like to this day, like Harold as like a fantastic, phenomenal movie. I would just, I would just say in public circles nowadays, it's just not as well known. But especially when it came out, and then it's, and people that watch old school cinema, like they know what Doctor Strangelove right. is, for sure. Yeah, on a pop culture level, probably hard to you know get people to recognize this one. But for sure, if you're a if you're a film nerd, you've probably heard of it. Yeah. Now, um, okay. No, go ahead. Well, I was just going to jump into one of the first scenes in the movie is uh, when it opens up and the, the opening credits are, are playing. They're showing these uh, tanker fuelers refueling the B-52s in the air. Yeah. And uh, our Uncle Rich flew those. Oh, are you serious? The, I didn't know that. Yeah, in the 70s. That is awesome. Yeah. See, another connection to this film. <laughs> there, there we go. <laughs> Hey, did you know, I didn't know this, but the Muse actually did a song based off this movie, the Time is Running Out song. Really? I love that song. I know. I didn't know that. That's pretty awesome. But um, yeah, also too, they wanted to make a sequel to this movie in 1995. Kubrick wanted to do a sequel and it was going to be called Son of Strangelove and it was going to be about Dr. Strangelove surviving underground with women. So (laughs) that alone, it sounds like it's going to be hilarious. Right. But he wanted Terry Gillum to direct and oh wow! Unfor- what a, what yeah. a pairing that would have been awesome. But unfortunately, the screenwriter who wrote this one, uh, Ter- I think his name's Terry Stevens, um, he passed away before finishing it. And then, of course, you know Kubrick passed away. I think around the year two thousand or something like that. Right. Um, so Terry Gillum didn't even know about it until afterwards, and he was like, "Oh, that would have been really fun to do." Yeah, so, that would have been pretty that awesome. That would have been amazing. Uh, jumping back in though. Um, Man, one of the funniest scenes in the movie right towards the beginning is when um, General, or George C. Scott, who plays um, the other general. Turgeson? Turgeson, thank you. Um, So his secretary gets a call. And which takes place in a hotel room where they're hooking up. And uh, so she's trying (laughs) They're trying to be all professional and and make it sound like, you know, they're still at the office, you know, conducting work, but really they're Which by the way, that is the only scene in the movie where there is a woman uh, in the move in the scene. There you go. But yeah, I found out she was a I guess she was a Playboy model. Oh yeah, she's when Slim Pickens is looking at the Playboy later in the movie. Right. That's her. Right. She was on the cover of that uh, that issue. But anyways, when when George C. Scott comes out, and at one point towards the end of the phone conversation, he's just wearing 
boxers and like his dress socks but he full-on like slaps his belly and it just makes this super loud <laughs> smacking noise and it just kills like i don't <laughs> i don't care how old you are it's hilarious and you just you just die laughing it's oh it's it's so funny i interrupted you i'm sorry but yeah you're talking about how like you can obviously tell like they're together in the hotel room but try on the phone trying to be right. all professional and oh dude like that also too i love that where she's like he can't come to the phone right now can i take a message and he's like oh hi frank how you doing and then then he's like oh frank i i mean like i don't know it's like is this really serious and then she's relaying like top secret information over the phone like yelling it across the the room right to the the bathroom because he's in the bathroom and it's just so funny because you're just like oh my gosh is this for real like like it's the subtle type of humor like that that's really funny where it's like it's a black comedy like don't get me wrong it's definitely most of it's played serious except for I would say Peter Sellers' uh, character, Doctor Strangelove, who's barely in right. the movie, actually. Um, I know that that really surprised me the first time I saw this movie. I kept expecting, you know, Doctor Strangelove. It's the name of the movie, and then he's barely in it, and mostly at the very end, pretty much. Yeah, he's got the like the thing that he is most known for with his arm, like trying to kill him, trying to choke him, and he's constantly fighting with his own arm. Um, that's like the last scene in the movie like pretty much i was watching the movie and right before that scene happened and you know slim pickens rides the rides the bomb down and he's all like whooping and hollering which is like the first time i saw it it actually kind of threw me off i was like what the like what i don't get it and this time i was like okay that's funny like that's really funny because slim pickens by the way this movie was a big break for slim pickens like but this is the movie that really kicked off his acting career which is pretty awesome Mm-hmm. but um, I, also, yeah. I also heard that when he showed up on set people thought oh that's cool he showed up in character because he showed up wearing cowboy boots and like a fringe western shirt <laughs> and a hat and then somebody was like no that's that's how he dresses all the time no that's slim pickens <laughs> that's slim pickens <laughs> right and yeah james earl jones was quoted as he thought he was a method actor just staying in character until after the movie was over and he met him and he was like no, you, that's just who you are. And right. So this guy's a hillbilly all yeah, the way. <laughs> don't get me wrong. Like Slim Pickens is legit. And oh, so cool. Oh yeah. Um, which is is hilarious. But um, yeah. Anyways, just like those different sequences, though, where it's pretty crazy. But then when Doctor Strangelove shows up at the end, I was like waiting for that scene where he's he does the whole like mind fear, I can walk, and does that thing. Like, right. That whole sequence, I was literally like, okay, this was like one in the morning when I was watching the movie, but I was like, is this? Like, I started questioning. I was like, is this from this movie? Like, was I confused? Because I haven't seen this movie in a long time. But that's right. why it's like, no, it's at the very end of the movie. It's like what his big Dr. Strangelove scene is. Right. It's yeah. it's crazy. So, you have that and he's playing this, I mean, just kind of doofy German scientist. Yeah. And and then he also plays the, you know, the major or general, not general, man. Oh. What was his? Yeah, Mandrake. He plays the officer. What is it? The like the the um, like what what is that called when you're in school and you have oh it's the officer exchange program and he's right, a British right. he's a British officer and which maybe that's a real thing but I just that cracked me up where I was like right. it's the officer exchange program and he's this British. Right. Well, I think the Strategic Air Command. I think they were kind of a. I think they did partner with other, um, you know, Western Allied countries. You know, specifically, you know, Great Britain. Oh, yeah, I don't know, group, maybe group captain Lionel Mandrake. That's the one. Yeah, that was a uh, that was uh, one thing I would say he probably had the most heart with with that one because you can see like when the general is like he realizes the general's freaking crazy and then he's just trying to to, to get the numbers out to stop this catastrophe. Right. He, does, he has a very serious. He probably that's probably one of the most serious like straight roles in the mm-hmm. movie. Like he doesn't really crack him. Maybe maybe a couple jokes. But that's but more really, of like that. That's more he, of like uh, there's crazy stuff happening around him, and he's the, yeah, he's, and he's the, the straight serious, guy, straight yeah, guy, the straight man in it. And also him though playing the 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 president of the United States, he's very serious right. in that as well. But well, he is. But then he falls into this whole like kind of Weasley, whiny, kind of weak willed politician, right? Kind of role. Well, he talks. He'll talk really big about oh, we're not going to do this, and then the Russian starts talking to him. The Russian president and oh well Dim- dimitri but but you know oh you yeah know. and then he just kind of starts you know backing down and, and it's just not to i don't want to get into like politics or anything but just 
a lot of the characters and uh, General Turgeson and um, you just have a lot of these same kind of characters today. Like, I don't think it changes in history. You have, right. you know, a lot of loud political bravado. Oh, we're going to be this way. And then, then behind closed doors. Oh, no. then they back down and they kind of cower. And then this aggressive polarization of, you know, one side and versus the other side and, right. um, you know, lots of big talk, but then you have pushovers and, right america first and and then you know no give it all away and it's it's crazy like all the stuff that's you know the opposing sides of politics today are in this movie way back right 60 70 years ago and you want to say that it's cartoon that it's like cartoonized or whatever it's not like it's i mean it's obviously a little bit more dramatic but like um dude like the part the part that I laughed really hard at, but at the same time, I know people like this though, is like the whole like America first thing is when uh, George C. Scott's character is when at the end, the president's like, is there any way like that we can stop this one, the one lone plane? Like, is he flying too low? And he gets excited and he's all like, oh, yeah. he's like, oh, <laughs> he's like, you, oh, you gotta see it. These pilots we got, man, he's, they can fly so low to the ground, they'll never see it coming. <laughs> he's all like, do you feel that coming through you? And he'll never see it. And then you see like his face change, such good acting where he realizes like, this is bad. Like the, the pilot is so good at his job that we right. can't stop him that from dropping the bomb. Yeah. Right. And that his face changes. So you're laughing at him because you know people that are like, yeah, America first. And like, oh, it's just, it is so funny because like, then you see his face turn like to horror of like, we can't stop this, you right. know? But um, yeah, but it's, it's pretty interesting. It, it, there's no, also there's no music in this movie except for when Johnny comes marching home, when they play that in the B-52, when they're like going around. That right. I didn't, so I didn't think there was any funny parts in the B-52 part. Um, what did you think? I thought that part was kind of more serious, like, to, to help. It, it is. I mean, and Slim Pickums, Slim Pick, Pickums, Pickens mm-hmm. is kind of inherently funny, just mm-hmm. with his... Mannerisms? Kinda, yeah, just hillbilly colloquial, colloquialisms. Like, he's Boy, just... That's, yeah, that's he's... He's funny and likable, like just yeah. But nothing, nothing like. I guess what's funny is that they're so serious. They are. They're for very serious. And I think that's why some. Oh, dude, the killer line that cracked me up out loud was when at the end, and they're trying to like, they finally get the three-digit code, and Mandrake is running, uh, and the, the the guy breaks in, the other general breaks in, holds him at gunpoint, and he's like, "I've got the code. I can stop this. Let me make a phone call." And then he goes to make the right. collect phone call and he doesn't have enough change. And the other guy yeah. doesn't either. He's like, I'm in army fatigues. I don't carry loose change on me. And he's like, right. well, then shoot that Coke, that, that Coke dispensing <laughs> machine. And he's right. like, but that's private property. And he says, <laughs> so, just deadpan, deadpan. And it's like, that is like so funny because it's such a serious part of the movie. And he says right. that and that's why I think some of these lines in these movies are killer because right. the movie's played serious and then there's some characters that are just over the top. Yeah. Which, um, that, that guy, Colonel Guano, Bat Guano, that's a funny, which funny is actually, that. it, that's an, every one of these words is, or names is joke for something. And that one's joke for, for bat crap. Right. Like, that's, that's actually it. The, um, um, well that actor, Keenan Wynn, um, you probably, I don't know if you recognize him. He's a villain in a lot of Disney movies later yeah. on, like in 10, 20 years later. Yeah. Uh, but he's in that um, that Disney movie with Kurt Russell, the computer that wore tennis shoes. He's the Mr. Arno or whatever. He's like the, oh, yeah. the lone shark thug kind of guy in it. I know. Uh, I remember him being a great the- actor. And the other thing I did not know, even though last name, obviously, I just never put together, but his dad is the famous Ed Wynn. The guy that plays Uncle Albert in uh, Mary Poppins. Oh, I didn't, I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah, and and the he's the toy maker in Babes in Toyland, and just you know, really famous actor in that time. Oh, wow, I did not know that. Yeah, I know. So I remember him. Cool. I remember him from Snowmobile Express. Right. Uh, one of my yeah, that's one of my personal favorite childhood movies. And then uh, he was in Piranha, actually. Believe it or not. Really. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Yeah, so I saw him. I was like, hey, what's that guy? Right. So there was one thing that I didn't know until I was you know, reading about the movie, but uh, George C. Scott, so he's a very over-the-top character, just kind of larger than life. 
and a very funny kind of guy, but apparently he was a very serious kind of actor and Kubrick kept pushing him to act like way over the top and mm-hmm. he didn't like that. Uh, George Scott didn't like that. He just, he thought that was, you know, silly and that's, you know, I'm, I'm a serious actor. So Kubrick totally fooled him and said, okay, I want to do some warm up takes of each scene. I want you to act way over the top and then dial it back down and, and nail it, you know, seriously. But he was totally tricking him and he kept all the footage of him being over the top, doing everything super funny. And that's what he used in the movie. And he didn't even know, you know Mr. Scott didn't know about it until the movie came out, which oh. obviously made him mad. <laughs> that is a classic douche move from uh, Stanley Kubrick. Yeah. Um, people think Hitchcock Pretty was... Pretty genius. Yeah, people think Hitchcock was uh, kind of a douchebag, but uh, Stanley Kubrick <laughs> definitely tops the... Yeah. T- tops the level of directors of, uh, unless we get into like the golden age of directors and stuff like that, like the 40s and 50s, like people were just freaking brutal back then. But yeah, Kubrick though, I'm not a fan of his, his, the way he directed movies, but he did put out some fantastic films. Right. Well, you get, he wanted a certain effect and he, you know, dirty street fighting tactic, tactics to get yeah. it. And, uh, you know, he got it done. And the thing that's funny uh, in like completely different to that is peter sellers when he was on set i guess most people were like working since stanley kubrick had such control over everything that he um the set was like super organized people didn't talk a lot except for peter sellers was like the one person that stanley kubrick was constantly laughing when peter sellers was around and so like the one scene when he peter sellers was doing the dr strange love like the whole hand trying to choke himself and thing like that whole scene, there's a bunch of quick cuts because the cast around him, there's like 50 or what, 30 people around him in that right. scene. They all kept cracking up with him doing that. So they had to keep cutting the scene multiple times. So like apparently he kept this, the the feeling like pretty light on this, which is pretty awesome. Yeah, for sure. Um, I Yeah, I think, uh, let's see here. Yeah, I, I think that's about it. Yeah. Well, I got one one last thing. Uh, General Ripper, the guy that starts off the whole uh, thing there when the when the army base is being attacked by mm-hmm. the rest of the army, and he whips out a you know this big old huge machine gun, and he's holding the barrel with his bare hand, and he's just firing <laughs> away. And I'm just yeah. like, oh my gosh, that would have his Burn hand would have caught on a fire. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, so. so not realistic, but that was kind of fun to see. Oh, I did love that too. He like stands up at the window when there's like some shots start going into the office and he's like, that all you got boys? And then it's like, right, like just, right next to him. Just and, like psychotic matter of fact. Oh you know, yeah. It's going down. He's off his rocker. And I love how he just keeps bringing back the, they're like, we'd have to protect our bodily fluids from the Ruskies. <laughs> and, right. And that was, that was pretty funny. Just how like psychotic he was. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, there's so much, uh, there's so much innuendo, sexual innuendo in this movie. But um, from the first clip alone, with the B B fifty two bombers like getting gas, right. like yeah, yeah, it's a uh, subtly not so subtle, for sure. Which is funny why it was it was still so widely uh, accepted even in the time. It was Kubrick was pretty smart with that, which is kind of funny because like his later films are obviously. He doesn't hold back, you know, especially right, clockwork. Yeah, he, he definitely pushed the boundaries almost every film. Right. Absolutely. The This movie, though, it's just, ah, it's it's one you should definitely, if you're a fan of cinema, you should definitely watch this movie because it right. is, I don't know if it was the first political satire movie, but it's definitely. It's it's not. I, I looked that up myself to see. Oh, great. And it definitely been around. There was, there was quite a few other ones, but this one set the high mark and it's still kind of a benchmark Um you know, political satire film. That's awesome because it's hard yeah. to pull off a movie that's political satire. That's like making fun of serious stuff and genuinely and being genuinely funny too. Right. So, and being genuinely heavy and disturbing all the way through, which yeah. is kind of how it, it leaves you feeling. Yeah. So. Congress actually, they, they showed the clip when Mandrake is like ran out of change and is trying to like make the phone call at the end to stop the bomb. They showed that in Congress, and they actually raised legitimate questions of, like, could this happen in real life if one person has the power to set off this chain of events that would start World War III? Right. Um, not the president, like somebody else in command. 
And so they, yeah, so they, the Air Force now has said like, this is no, there's no way that this could actually happen in real life. But I think it's interesting though, that this did get brought up in Congress and uh, people had to talk about it for a little bit. So, right. And make sure that that wasn't actually something that could happen that easily. Right. Absolutely. So. Well, we're running uh, running late on time on this one. So let's get into our final verdicts. Yeah. So uh, how do you feel it held up or how do you feel it did in, in 1964 when it came out? Uh, well, it had it had strong reviews and um, yeah, I think it was pretty good, pretty solid movie. Like it made its money, but I think also too, the reason I think it made its money though is this movie was shot uber cheap. There's only like literally three sound stages in this entire film. Right. And I think that's actually kind of smart because it being a political satire, it could have bombed bad if it was a high budget film. Oh, so, yeah. I think that bombed bad, no pun intended. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, but I think it, yeah, it did hit its mark though in that it made $8 million for sure. Yeah. Definitely made its money. I'd, I'd give it a, I'd give it a B for hitting its mark when it first came out. Yeah. I, um, I would, I would definitely give it a, a nah, actually, I'd almost give it an A considering it was also up for so many Academy Awards. Oh, I forgot about uh, that. You're right. Yeah. Never mind. I gave it an A. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not to make you change your uh, your vote on that one. I'm not easily swayed, folks. <laughs> <laughs> that was quick. Not at all. <laughs> Recap. All right. So how do you how do you relevant do you think it is today? Um, how relevant do I think it is today? Um, well, the fact that like the political shift in stuff like that is in the, the constant threat of uh, World War Three and just how no matter what century you're in there's always a new threat i feel like it's that fear is still there and that fear of like something happening by accident so i would say it's actually pretty relevant and then also in the case of filming filmmaking of course it's definitely a it's a classic with yeah. uh, in cinema so i would say uh yeah i give it a b for relevance still yeah what about I'm you i'm right there with you i also gave it a b um it's definitely a satirical classic and uh and relevant today um so yeah i'd be yeah. on both of those what about uh, uh personal enjoyment for yourself so this is where i'm a little i'm a little torn i i want to like this movie a lot more than i actually do i mean there's, okay. there's parts of this movie that i really love but all in all i this you know my i don't know my third time watching this movie and i still found myself kind of nodding off a little bit at oh. times so it sucks because I really want to like this more than I do, but I'm going to have to give it a D plus. What? I know, man. Really? Okay. So that's, that's really interesting. Um, I will admit. There's certain, there's certain scenes in this movie I really like. Right. But as a whole, I just feel, um, I don't right. know. Oh, yeah. dude. You don't like that whole part where they're in the war room and he's like, got to call the, the Russian guy in and, and he's like. Sir, are you well, sure I do. You want to, he's no, like, I, I'm serious. There's, <laughs> there's a lot of scenes that I like in it, but just whenever I think of this movie, I'm always like, man, I wish I liked it more than I do. Dude, George C. Scott is so funny though when he's like, but he'll see the big board, sir. <laughs> <laughs> and then his girlfriend. No doubt, it, it, he is. He's my favorite character in that movie for sure. Right, and then his character, his girlfriend, calls him in the war room, and he's like, halfway under the table, he's like, baby, I love you. I gotta go. <laughs> right. Anyways, um, sorry, I just remembered that. Oh, uh, one more tidbit I forgot about. They, the remember they bring in the the uh, Russian ambassador in, and they walk past this huge buffet of like food. Right. Um, they set that scene up because at the end of the movie they were gonna have a pie fight between the like the Air Force and another one. I and then they thought it was too cheesy, so they completely cut it out. But I I right. think that might be on a DVD where you can watch that scene. Um. But anyways, uh, personal enjoyment for me. So it's this movie started off slow, and I was like, "What did I, what did I get myself into?" <laughs> right. And then it just once they introduced George C. Scott, like I, the movie had me. It captivated me. I started chuckling, then I started laughing, and then like I, I was getting actually nervous because of how serious it is. Like as an adult now, oh, understanding yeah. the repercussions of this, of what would potentially happen in this fictional film. Um, so dude, I, you gave it a D minus, uh, I give it a, I give it a B in personal. Wow. Enjoyment. I That's guess. That's awesome. That's the biggest spread I think we've ever had on our, uh, our rankings. Right. Our I was ratings on it. Cause most of the time you and me are pretty close in what we right. like and dislike. And usually, usually I rate stuff a lot higher too. So yeah, this one 
dude, it was really hard for me to put that down. I was going to give it a C and then I was like, no, it really, that's, that's kind of where I land. Like there's certain scenes that I love, like all the George C. Scott scenes. Right. And, uh, but yeah, just all in all, that's just kind of how the feeling I have when I finished watching this movie. I'm just like, man, I wish I liked it more than I do, but well, I don't know. People call me crazy. Well, I'm glad that you, yeah, this is what, <laughs> this is what the show's all about is us being really honest on movies. <laughs> Trying to be. <laughs> Try, yeah. Unless it's not popular, then we change it anyway. <laughs> um, well, yeah, I think that's about it for uh, well, right well, now. Dude, dude, we're forgetting the big one. Oh, my is Lord. This, is this a midnight watch for you? Oh, man, I, it's like, it's up there, bro. It's up there. I, I don't, <laughs> it's not quite there, though. It doesn't yeah. clear that glass ceiling. It's not the the immortal midnight watch for me. Like I, like, there's scenes in this movie, like you were saying, where I'm like, Oh, I'll enjoy that. But, right. um, then there's other scenes where, yeah, if I was like, watch this movie and it, I wouldn't just sit down and keep watching it, but I would definitely, uh, I will probably like just, finish the scene that, that caught your attention. Kind right. Of thing. Right. Yeah. But it's not the type of movie where I'm like constantly quoting it and just like, yeah. So it's not quite, what about, what about yourself? You know, uh, it's a D I'm minus, with you on but, that one yeah it's yeah but it's a midnight watch no 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 no. it's it's not true i no it's not a it's not a midnight watch for me um though there are there's some scenes in it that if it came on and pretty much any of the scenes with with george c scott i would totally like stop and watch it right but once it moved on i'd probably you know turn off and go to bed i feel like you said yourself this movie kind of makes you kind of sleepy at different parts how does that not qualify for a midnight watch? You know, you're, <laughs> you're up late at night and you're just like, oh, it's on and I'm going to sleep. So and now I'm going to bed. It's Thank a win-win. Dr. Strangelove. Dr. Strangelove. Yes. Well, this wraps it up for today's episode. If you want to check out this movie, uh, I, where did I watch this movie? Amazon Prime. I watched a lot of movies on Amazon Prime. What about you? Same. Yeah, I rented it on Amazon. I would buy this movie though. I'm not going to lie. I would definitely buy this movie. Yeah, special thanks to our sound producer, Jake Colvin. And if you guys enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you shared it with your friends or anyone that you think that would like it. Yeah, and please hit that subscribe button. We'd love to get a five-star rating from you if you enjoyed this, uh, especially on Apple Podcasts or on Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts. I think I said on the last episode, we're trying to get our, our YouTube page up. It still hasn't happened yet, but, you know, fingers crossed. If you want to get a hold of us, uh, hit us up at Facebook, Instagram, or you can email us at themidnightwatchpodcast at gmail.com. That's right. We are always down to talk movies for sure. Thank you guys so much for listening. You have an awesome week. Check out this flick when you have time. And as always, keep up the watch. <laughs>